0: This is a VowFM special Special broadcast. Broadcast. The COVID
1: Report Show. Monday to Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. Exclusive Exclusive. to VowFM 88.1. Hear it.
0: Greetings, salutations, a very good evening to you, and welcome to another edition of the COVID Reports here on FM 88.1. We'll be taking a special look at all of the financial permutations of the stimulus package that was announced by President Cyril Ramaphosa last night in an aid to provide financial relief during our continued battle against the COVID-19 crisis here in South Africa. Joining us as our guest this evening uh, is Mr. Owen Nkoma, who is the director of the inkunzi Wealth Group, and uh, we will be uh, employing his extensive knowledge in the field to help us make sense of everything that was shared with us by President Sylvester Maposa last night. Mr. Nkoma, good evening and welcome to the COVID report.
1: Good evening to you, game and good evening to your colleagues in the studio and importantly to the listeners.
0: Thank you very much for taking time out of the evening to join us and have this discussion with us. And let's get straight into it. For the benefit of those who saw President uh, Suho Ramaphosa's speech last night and still don't have all of the ins and outs as far as what it means for us as South Africans. Would you mind uh, breaking down uh, that, the, the, the numbers that were presented and those interventions uh, for, for, for each part of that number that was presented?
1: Yes, thank you so much for that question. Um, yesterday, the president delivered a 500 billion rand project or program for helping the economy, helping the citizens and helping business in the country to make sure that we can get through this very difficult period, probably one of the most difficult periods um, in, in the country since apartheid. And I think this 500 billion rand will go a long way to making it easier for the government to at least manage the country during these difficult times. Some of the interventions that were announced, um, you know, not in any particular list of, um, of, of importance, were the introduction of a 200 billion rand loan scheme, which will be managed by the banking sector to ensure that any defaults in payments in the current period that might happen, that might result in some legal action. Uh, the government and the banks will be able to support businesses that might find themselves facing those kind of challenges. Um, 200 billion rand is not a very small number. And I think it's a, it's a big deal, making sure that um, you know, guys can pay their salaries, can pay their rent, and all the other creditors are sorted. And the businesses continue to exist in the shape that we currently know them. And uh, obviously, knowing that post-COVID businesses might change. But during this period, where people, for example, have not been to work for almost a month, uh, depending on whether or not there's an extension, you understand that there needs to be continuity. In some of these payments, at least, some of the people in business have written us some of the liabilities, but some of the liabilities cannot be written off. So the cushion provided by the government here is to say that if you are a small business or any business that qualifies for this help and you need support, you can tap into this $200 loan guarantee scheme that the government has instituted. And then the next thing that the government gave was um, some nice tax relief, some nice tax breaks. Obviously, you will have to work closely with... uh, Jimboeni and the guys of the National Treasury, um, and these tax relief measures amount to about 70 billion odd rands. And what has been done here, which has confused some people post the presentation yesterday, was uh, this increase to 35% of uh, deferrable uh, pay as you end, payments that must be made to SARS. People all of a sudden think that they're going to be paying 35% in, in pay, but instead it's a very simple thing that the president has done and which is good for small businesses particularly. Where the government is saying if you had a bill of 100,000 rands that you had to pay on behalf of your employees, the government is saying, well, try and pay 65,000 rands. The other 35,000 you can defer it and you can address it over time. As things get better in the business, so that is one of the interventions that got actually introduced by the, the by the president yesterday, and it's um, you know it's 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 very good to see this kind of interventions happening, and the government is also going to make sure that anyone who's got a, a VAT repayment due to them will get that VAT repay to them uh, as soon as is possible because that's cash flow to the business, allowing people to pay for some of their liabilities, and then the other thing the government has done is say, for uh, any receipts of VACs, the government will delay um, the the, the submission of of the VACs, particularly the, uh, the carbon tax, rather. So people have got yet a little bit more time before they need to address that issue. And then the next point is the government saying, you know what, we need to take care of our people, we'll prepare about 250,000 food parcels that will be distributed over the next two weeks and obviously it's going to continue until the lockdown is over um by giving people vouchers to go and buy food out there in the shops the government has provided for some room for comfort for the people uh, out there to make sure that during this difficult time there's some caution municipalities receive 20 billion rands that they will use for emergency services such as water and any other uh, challenges that the municipalities might face for example sunny sanitation staff, public transport, and maybe in some cases uh, where the municipalities are responsible for looking after uh, senior citizens and the homeless people, they will use that money for for that particular uh, line of support. 100 billion rands was pledged, uh, came for the support of, of small businesses in order for them to continue to retain people on their jobs and at the same time to add more jobs onto the system. So, the informal sector, small businesses will be beneficiaries of this one. And, you know, there will continue to be loans and, and some grants that get given to to the small businesses to ensure that they do not immediately have to fire people from their employment uh, uh, payrolls. So, the next thing is obviously the introduction of over 100 million rands of a protection line for workers. That will come through from a few companies um, and a few state-owned enterprises like the ITC, which has apparently over the past few weeks dispersed 162 million rands for the sake of procuring some of these much needed protective equipment for frontline workers that are helping us fight this COVID challenge. And I believe that is a very welcome intervention. So in a nutshell, those are some of the interventions. And the other one was to, as I say. The, the delay in payment of that, of, of uh, pay as you earn for companies on behalf of their employees. That is a welcome relief as well. So, in a nutshell, that's what uh, the president did yesterday. Very difficult uh, position. Um, you know, there are some sources of money out there that maybe we can touch on as well um, to just uh, illustrate where this, how the president is planning to fund uh, this uh, expenditure of $500 billion.
0: Thank you very much for that, Mr. Ngomo. Now, where exactly does this money come from? And what are, what are the, the key factors that will impact delivery of this money to its intended recipients?
1: Okay, so this money will come from adjustment of the national budget that was announced in February. About 150 billion rands, I think, of the funds will come from the existing budget. I believe that there potentially might be a need to tap into the existing budget to take maybe another 50 billion old rents so that we don't have to go and borrow money, you know, from outside the country. And then there will be money that will come from the UIF. Unemployment Insurance Fund has got a lot of surplus cash because if you think about it, we've been paying this insurance from the day that UIF was set up uh, in the country, but not everyone has had a need to claim from the fund. So there is a surplus. That is sitting with the UIF, which the government is going to tap into to fund the, the, the shortfall in the, um, in the in the in the funding, and I think the government can get anything between 50 to 100 billion rand there uh, through using the UIF. But the numbers will be explained obviously tomorrow. And then there is the new Development Bank, which is a bank that was set up by the BRICS nations there is access as well to money that uh, the president can go to and get money from from that uh, organization. And then there's a need to borrow money from outside the country. The IMF and the World Bank will stand up and say, okay, guys, here is the cash for you guys. We're going to give you, uh, I think we've been approved for about 4.4 billion U.S. dollars, which is just under 60 billion rands. That money, we've got access to it, and confirmed that the uh, IMF has given us the go-ahead to tap into that if we require um, borrowing money. So the World Bank is also available. And I think the government is also through the use of the Solidarity Fund. If you donate money to the Solidarity Fund, you will be given a tax break or salt. Let's find out how that looks tomorrow. It's an important question. Do I donate 50 rands and I get a big tax tax relief? Do I donate 50,000? Do I donate 1,000? I think those are some of the methods that the government has tried to put together to pull funds into um, into 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 this five hundred billion rand package.
0: As far as the the, the the magnitude of these these moves that, that were made by President Cyril Ramaphosa last night, versus the magnitude of the crisis that we face, not only as a country but all across the world, this COVID nineteen crisis. For anyone who 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 kind of questions uh, whether or not. The, these measures will actually help in the long run. What lens do we need to look at it to consider how helpful these financial measures will be in the face of the magnitude of the crisis we face?
1: I think the amount that's been pledged or 500000000000 how it in-house been distributed does make sense. But uh, there's many permutations you could have uh, done the allocation, depending on which side of the economy you're sensitive to. It appears that we've been more sensitive towards making sure that uh, people have got money to survive. People have been given additional grants for the period. And some people are asking if that makes sense. So you are in a lockdown and the shops are still open, but you're being given more money. What is the point of that? But I think it does make sense because some of these people that have got kids who are not going to school, all of a sudden they need to prepare lunch for the children and the kids would have had to eat um, uh, at school if schools are open. And you know, some are debating the, the, the impact of such um, continuous social grants without limitations. For example, if we could just go to China over the past uh, several decades, there was a one-child policy there. Government was trying to obviously reduce the number uh, of people that, of population, the population quantity in China. And it kind of worked for them because it meant there was limited reliance on the government. But with us, we are allowing these grants to be distributed even to people who have got five, six, seven kids. Maybe while we are dealing with this crisis, is there a question to be asked to say, must we start perhaps limiting the number of people that will benefit from the social grants, uh, particularly people that receive child grants? You know, maybe we give you support for your first two children, and then after that, you're on your own. Maybe we suggest a bigger um, campaign around, around um, the use of contraceptives, etc., to make sure that the government reduces dependence on grants. Mind you, the country has got more than 17 billion people that survive on grants and every time a crisis happens and we use the soft hand of giving, uh, the necessary soft hand of giving our disenfranchised citizens support, we are on the other hand increasing what the government is spending supporting the people. But what's important is that the government has stood up and said, we'll be there for you, it doesn't matter who you are, we're not supporting people at the top, we're making sure that our most vulnerable people in the country actually do get supported. So 500 billion rands in my view is going is, is a big number, but what's important is, what are we using it for? Are we making sure that the people who are, who, who have small businesses and they employ 10 plus, 5, 50 people, 100 people, 1000 people, can we make sure we, we, we can support those companies and make sure that they are um, uh, essentially, you know, able to retain people in their balance sheets and they are able to actually continue to, to, to operate. Those are some of the big questions that one wants to ask because, you know, if we just take this money and we just give companies and say, okay, here's the money, sort yourself out, but you are unable to sell to your customers because of a lot or because of your trading partners no longer operating, then that is a difficult equation that needs to be to, to, to be solved. But at the moment, I think let's just be happy that the government has stepped up and given us 10% of our GDP to fight the COVID challenge.
0: Absolutely. And I think finally, Mr. Ngomo, before uh, we allow you to get on with the rest of your evening, if you could give us an, an insight as to what kind of shape all of these economic measures will leave us in as a country Post COVID nineteen, if we can, if we continue to keep in mind that there will come a time where all of this is a thing of the past, what what kind of financial shape will we will will we possibly be in once this once this crisis uh, smooths over?
1: Thank you, Game, for that uh, question, and let me answer it in two ways. The first part, I think, the economy is going to struggle to survive this COVID environment. Yes, five hundred billion has been put in this mechanism just to help the country survive. But the administrative processes involved in delivering the 500 billion are my biggest question out of all of these things. How will this be done? If you run a small business and you've been employing 10 people and you have not registered that business, if you have a taxi business, well, the government has helped the taxi industry obviously by standing in as guarantee on some of their debt and stuff like that. but There's a lot of businesses that are small, but employ a lot of people, and they're not registered. How does the government start to prove that these people are a genuine business, and they actually are employing people? You know, That's part of the administration that the government is going to battle with in terms of delivering this 500 billion rands. And then the other important element um, is obviously the fact that the government is going to need to make um, arrangements for the money to get to the people. People are going to lose jobs. That creates poverty. It increases the number of people who live below the poverty line, and at the same time, given the the, um, the, the the implementation of this social support, one wants to ask the question: Post the COVID, will people be able to survive without government support? And that talks to the government also committing for a longer term for supporting these people victims of this COVID environment, and they have lost their jobs, and that is something that we have to find out. Government plans to address that. And the second side of it is the government will obviously now inherit debt onto the national fiscus. Some of the money we've saved, we're going to pay in under three years. We hope we will pay it under three years. The currency might weaken if we increase the debt, and if there's a sign that we're unable to, to make up payments, or if our economy just worsens in terms of performance, we might have the government um, needing longer to, to repay. Hey, And trust me, for developing economies, debt is the last thing that the guy that the economies uh, want on their backs because it can stifle growth by taking away most of the GDP of the of the income collected from revenue, and that money ends up paying for for interest and debt capital uh, responsibilities of those countries. But whatever happens post this one, I hope and pray that the president realizes one thing, um, and he exercises this thing, which is. Mr. President, you have got all the authority to make big decisions, whatever you need to change going forward in terms of our finances to make sure we can pay. Mr. President, please exercise your, your, your um, the, the, the same tenacity you have exercised over the past few months when dealing with this COVID. Because without presidential control, I am afraid that we will have a Corona gate down the next few years because of potential looting that could happen. You know, there's just so much going on in, in a short space of time and so much money being put to use. And, you know, many questions will have to be answered in terms of whether the money has actually got to its intended recipient and the economy is benefiting from this kind of uh, dispensation of money to, 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 to help the economy recover. Otherwise, thank you so much for having me on the show, sir.
0: Thank you very much. That was Owen Nkoma, who was the director of the Inkunzi Investment Group, giving us a look and insight into the financial permutations of the economic stimulus package that was given to the South African public by its president, Commander-in-Chief President Slo Ramaphosa last night, addressing the nation on the measures that government will take to help ease the financial burden on uh, small businesses and um, others that will be affected by our continued fight against COVID-19. Owen, thank you so much one more time for joining us on the COVID report.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was great being here. We're
2: going to keep the lovely
0: conversation going here on the COVID Report
1: The COVID Report Show Busting. Busting the Myths.
2: Welcome back to the COVID Report. You are with me, Pansupilani, and Mr. Game Bovana. We continue our conversation regarding the president's speech last night, um, announcing some social and economic relief uh, that the government has offered people. And on the line today, Back on the COVID report, we have the executive director of Amandla.mobi, who is going to be telling us about their victory from last night when um, after they campaigned for social grants to be increased during this time of COVID-19 and also how people are affected. We have seen uh, the president announce this as well as a grant for the next six months for unemployed adults without access to UIF for social grants in any other form. Koketo, welcome to the COVID
3: report. It's so good to have you back. It's a pleasure to be here again.
2: And, you know, just getting straight to the conversation, congratulations again on your victory for the topping up of the child support grant, as well as a social grant for unemployed adults who do not have access to AF, Please just tell us the importance of this grant and, and the announcement by the president for the next six months and the difference it will make in the, in the communities that you were representing in this campaign.
3: So this is a very long overdue move. As we know, the lockdown has affected a whole set of households in various ways, right? What we've seen is that informal workers who live literally hand to mouth, you know, who are earning a daily income and working in, in other means of informal settings have been hit severely by the loss of income that was created by the lockdown, as well as other measures um, to contain the Um, pandemic in the country. And so the risk that we faced was a huge humanitarian crisis where people would not be able to put food on their plates. As we have seen over the last couple of weeks, food prices have gone up severely, you know. And people, we know that the child support grant and other grants people are receiving are not enough for nutritious and adequate food. And so a top-up will enable people, you know, to just get cash in their hands to use as best as they can. One of the risks that we also had without cash moving to people's hands, you know, in the form of other forms of distribution, is that we know that the procurement is a huge site of government corruption. But also, over and above that, it's a little bit of a paternalistic approach to it, right? As people know best what they need. So we see it as significant that families and households get cash in their hands, because not only does it mean that they are able to survive, it's a buffer for them to survive, but over and above that, it stimulates the economy around them and around their economies.
2: So, you know you mentioned such an important point regarding malnutrition, especially when we 're looking at children. Um, last year 's South African Child Gage report reported that a quarter of South african 's children who die in hospitals are associated with severe malnutrition and and like acute malnutrition so we 're seeing that a quarter of children who are dying particularly young children, are because they're malnutritioned. And so, as well as we look at research from uh, one of your partners, which is uh, the Peter Marisberg Economic Justice and Dignity Household Affordability Index that looks at what the child support grant in particular does. And in what you're saying right now, the difference this money is going to make, you know, what do you have to say to particularly the naysayers and and the incorrect views that the increase in the particularly the child support grant is enabling uh, of people to want to have more children, which we know that research has proven to be incorrect. But just from your point of view, uh, what do you what do you have to say to that?
3: I think, yeah, you know, over the years, we have seen it disproven over and over again. In fact, there's research that shows that the grant has been one of the most, the child support grant has been one of the biggest game changers in this country as far as poverty alleviation is concerned. We, have, we also know that the grant has enabled women to access opportunity to seek other work elsewhere right because of that they're getting to supplement it and so over and above that you know there's the research which the naysayers will discount and disown and deny but over and above that there is a you know there is a moral and just imperative to ensure that in a country of so much people are not going hungry you know so i think the most immediate thing that should come to people's mind is that are we saying that because of you know individual beliefs and yeah individual beliefs there are certain people whose lives are expendable there are certain children whose lives have no worth right that's that's what it fundamentally comes down to it comes down to dignity it comes down to worth and it comes down to survival and, you know, understanding that as a human beings too, we need to survive. And I think also there is a huge, um, it is a very, very uncompassionate approach. It is such an uncompassionate approach, particularly because the assumption that's always made is that people are taking, taking, taking as if this money Is not for the public use, as if this money should not be serving the public interest, you know, that there are certain people who are not entitled to it. Um, Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a very, very false thing.
2: Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, as you've said, there has been tons of research that has disproven this and uh, many, many times. However, every time the child support grant comes up, it's kind of like the re-emphasis of the research and also, of, also the, some of the points that you've just made right now regarding why it is a necessary um, need in society. When it comes to just like the victory for Mobi and your partners and the people on the ground, do you think the 6 months is enough would you had would you have liked it to be longer are you going to be campaigning to increase it what is the next step in like what is the next step to victory after this announcement
3: So one of the things we did um, a couple of weeks ago actually was we sent out a survey to the movie community asking um the community, what they think our community response should be to the current crisis, right? But I think our approach has been rooted, we know that there is immediate relief that is needed for households, but we also see the current crisis as a gateway to building to build bigger, stronger victories that go beyond the immediate crisis, right? And this completely emerged with the responses that we got. Thousands of people responded, but one thing that was absolutely very, very clear was that people are most concerned about getting income into households, right? Which is one of the big reasons the ability for people to eat and live was was without a doubt, you know, the top priority and top concern that people had. Um, And so this is why the campaign was not only just about the CSG as well. It was about ensuring that vulnerable households that don't receive grants, including unemployed adults in households, get access to income support, right? And there's also a thing about um, subsidizing highly nutritious foods, Households. And so for us, we see this as a beginning, as a step forward, you know. In our um, and so when the partners, some of the partners like the Children's Institute, which is a member of the Budget Justice Coalition, um, you know, were running this campaign, 35 organizations endorsed, and it was clear for us that this is something that we need to support. We sent out SMSs and people joined via USSD. Um, This went out in five languages. And so the various responses, the bulk of the 500,000 responses that were received came from mobile users in different parts of the country. And the thing people most commented on was that we can't be fighting a virus and be defeated by hunger, you know, which evidence, again, that this is such a huge concern. And so far as we see this as a gateway. This is obviously an immediate relief, an immediate intervention that is using existing infrastructure already, but it does begin a way in which one can reckon with the ongoing inequality that is existing in South Africa, right? it puts. As my other colleagues have written it puts a sharp sharp light on what has been an existing crisis in this country hunger hunger has been an ongoing thing the exploitation of labor has been an ongoing thing people who we were previously called unskilled laborers right who are underpaid are today the essential workers who are keeping this country going, right? Community health workers who have been excluded, who have experience, who are continuously exploited, predominantly women, today are being called the backbone of the health system, you know? And so for us, we see this as a step in the right direction, but only a step. There's a lot more that needs to be done. To ensure that we are building and working towards a more just and more equitable society that responds to people's needs, not only in a moment of crisis.
0: Absolutely, Koketsu. Now, my next question to you is one that is informed by a conversation we had with um, Owen Nkomo, who's the director of the Inkunzi Investment Group. And uh, he he said something that 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 mirrored something that you touched on in your response just now, as far as the the question of of whether or not certain people are entitled to the funds that they are receiving through um, the grants that uh, were engineered to be available uh, to the public during this COVID nineteen crisis. Now, as far as um, Taking that into consideration, thinking about the shape that uh, we'll be in as a country post COVID nineteen, I know that it doesn't feel like we're making any kind of process to this period of time where this is a thing of the past. But uh, the reality of it is, day by day, we are in some way, in, in some ways, in many ways, making progress towards this time. So, as as time continues to progress, what is what would you say government's role? Is as far as uh, remembering the importance of serving those in, um, in, in, in the deepest plight. Do they, do, do they need to continue uh, to look at it from a human perspective or, uh, or, or will there be room for them to look at it as a matter of a bottom line that needs to be met and think about scaling down the numbers of recipients of these grants?
3: I think ultimately as an organization, right, we are interested in a just world. We are interested in the dignity of people. We are interested in the inherent dignity of Black people that should be respected, particularly with a particular emphasis on low-income Black women who we know are disproportionately affected by all injustice that happens in this country, right? And I think the world, the South Africa that we are working towards is one in which um, people can thrive. People can thrive collectively, you know, a society in which there is a social contract that is upheld both between the state and the people that it is meant to serve as the state, both between, you know, and at the heart of it is that the state exists to serve us, not any other interests, right? And so what this means is that if we are talking about justice, if we are talking about equitableness, we are talking about people paying their fair share of tax, right, um, tax to ensure that public service can be made available, public service can be strengthened, that our hospitals are functional, that our schools are functional, you know, that children, I mean, one of the big crises of this moment, right, which um, spurred also, which contributed to this campaign was the fact that a lot of kids are dependent, school-going kids are dependent on the meals that they get at school for their only meals during the day, where it does not have to be that way. Um, Yeah and so I think ultimately the goal is a government that recognizes that its duty, its obligation is to serve the people. People should not have gone for two decades, for over two decades without water and now because there's a crisis they are suddenly getting it, right? It should have been a given Beyond the crisis, people need water to survive every day. Right now, reclaimers, waste reclaimers, whose labor subsidizes municipalities in terms of landfill costs, and all of us, actually, in terms of the recycling, because they do recycle a significant amount of resources, what happens is they have lost income. And right now, the question is not just about whether they should be given any form of support. The question should be, beyond this moment, Waste um, reclaimers need to be integrated by municipalities, earn a living wage and get the benefits that go with that, you know. And so I'm hoping that there will be a fundamental shift that is made possible by this moment. And that is going to entail hard work going to entail hard work from all of us individually, but also collectively. Because part of the thing about these systems under which we operate is that they don't exist in a vacuum. They are upheld and propped up by individuals in our practices um, whether it is by, you know, misrepresenting claims about grants, whether it is the disdain for those who are poor that is shown on a day to day level, not just by the state, but by people in their communities at an everyday base, on an everyday um, basis, you know, those things need to change. Those things absolutely need to change.
2: Such important points that you've just made, Goketo. As we wrap up, I just want to ask a final question. So, Africa is a host to so many um, nationals from uh, and other nationalities rather. And some of them are the waste reclaimers that you're speaking about, They're mine workers. Like in my experience, a lot of domestic workers are in the informal sector, are casual workers are uh, from our neighboring countries like Zimbabwe and Lesotho and who are also affected by the pandemic. What are we saying about them? Are there any measures uh, that the president talked about, particularly yesterday, that covered them particularly?
3: I think one of the biggest things that has been a concern for a lot of organizations and a lot of people, right, is what is not being said. And by virtue of that, who is being excluded? We've heard it over and over. we South Africans are referred to those who are South African can get access to this and that right rather than those who are in South Africa but the reality is we are all in South Africa and should benefit from the things that government is making available because the stigmatization and the xenophobic sentiments that have existed within government and beyond um, before the crisis ever hit cannot continue in the way they do right? because the risk we face is that people do live in communities we will not be able to contain the spread of the virus if we are not talking about migrants if we are not talking about incarcerated people, right? Where detention centres are and the outbreak within detention centres also has implications not just for those who are detained but for the staff and the communities that surround them. So I do think there is a big push. There's organisations Um, that are working towards, you know, getting commitments on this um, and ensuring that migrants aren't excluded, but also just to ensure that migrants can also access testing, right? If we had to stop on immigration offenses, detention right now, it would reduce the population in prisons quite significantly. But also, and above that, if we do not stop, the risk we face is that people will not make themselves available for testing, right? Because they fear... um, facing repercussions because they are possibly undocumented, which poses a risk to society at large. And that's the reality of it. Our society is upheld by all those who live in it, right? Whether migrants, whether detainees, whether people who live in informal settlements, all of us are part and parcel of the same society. And what doesn't happen for any single one of us will have huge implications for all of us and containing this pandemic.
2: Thank you so much. That was the executive director of Mobi speaking about the victorious um, announcement for them that President Cyril Ramaphosa made yesterday when he announced the increase in social grants for the next six months. Particularly, she has focused on the additional, um, additional top-ups for child grants, as well as unemployed people who are not covered by UIF or other social grants. Koketo also touched on what is unsaid about other people such as waste pickers as well as when we look at um, uh, migrants as well who are not necessarily included in the discussion around these economic and social relief efforts that the president has announced. However, uh, we were so um, uh, lucky to have her Uh, explain the bigger picture of Amantla.mobi and its partners in reaching um, these uh, victories and what the next steps are and what does this mean in the collective or in the bigger picture of what these victories mean for South Africa for us the moral obligation to take care of the most vulnerable people in our society. Thank you so much for joining us yet again. We hope to have you on the COVID report again speaking about more victories that Amanda.Mobi and its partners will have in the future
3: during this period. It's a pleasure it's a pleasure. look forward to chatting to you again.
1: The COVID Report Show, Monday to Thursday, from 6 to 7 p.m. Exclusive to VOW FM, 88.1. Hear it.